We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking, well, we'll be talking to Julie Ertz, the great Julie Ertz. We'll also be talking Nations League uh, roster drop, Messi to Barca, player fan confessional, CCL, love and death, uh, Balogun, the toughest national team out there, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossier, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossier, how are you doing on this Thursday, June 1st in the year 2023? I'm doing well. I just saw something on Twitter. What's I'm not that? sure if it's true. I have to confirm it What's with you. That? Is today your birthday? Today is my birthday. Today is June 1st. I was born 53 years ago in Royal Oak, Michigan to uh, Ann and Demetrius, firstborn. I was born around 9.30 in the morning. That would be Eastern time. So my actual birth date moment has passed a few hours from the recording of this. Yeah, uh, I, uh, in my mind, I'm still 18 years old, but my, my body tells me different. So yeah, another uh, trip around the sun. Isn't that what they say or whatever? So yeah, it's my birthday today. We'll, uh, we'll see if uh, my family remembers and uh, we'll, go, we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, actually, a lot of people uh, sending well wishes and happy birthday wishes. So thank you very much to everybody out there uh, uh, out there doing that. Uh, Mossy, uh, did you watch anything interesting? Uh, I know it's the end of an era from a soccer show perspective with the end of Te- uh, Ted Lasso. Um, and the final episode has aired. Uh, producer Sean says that they, they stuck the landing. It was a great finish to not necessarily a memorable season. And there were moments that, that people said it jumped the shark. I know you haven't watched the final episode. I haven't watched the final season. So now I'm going to binge it from start to finish. And I will. I guess we will both have our, uh, our verdicts when it comes to the ending. And I'll have the verdict on the entire season. But have you seen anything or watched anything, my friend? No, I have not yet watched Ted Lasso. I will do so today. We'll discuss it on our next pod. I have not watched anything noteworthy in the last couple wow. of days. But I do have something I want to discuss with okay. you, my friend. Uh, Rolling Stone released a list of the 200 greatest singers of all time. Really? Yes. So give me give me the top 10. Can you do, can you do that? Let's say uh, Aretha Franklin number one. Okay, I'm okay with that. 
Uh, Whitney Houston, number two. Okay. Uh, Sam Cooke, number three. Okay. Uh, Billy Holiday, number four. Mm-hmm. Mariah Carey, number five. Mm-hmm. Ray Charles, number six. Stevie Wonder, number seven. Uh, Beyonce, number eight. Otis Redding, number nine. And Al Green, number 10. Wait, so that's the top 10? Yes. So there's no like Axl Rose. There's no Freddie Mercury. There's no... Uh, our good friend Michael DeCourcy was outraged that they put Bob Dylan at 15 ahead of the likes of Frank Sinatra. Uh, this Mike, is, these are actual singers. Yes. Right? Michael said Dylan is a genius, but as a singer, Thank come you. On. He's, he's <laughs> absolutely right, number one. Number two, they have Beyonce in the top 10? Yeah. Oh, stop. Please stop. Come on. <laughs> Look, you know lists sell and lists click, and they are designed to generate opinion and debate. And this one is certainly going to do that. This is ridiculous. This is a ridiculous list. And yet I'm going to read it from start to finish when we're done. <laughs> uh, Freddie Mercury, 14. John Lennon, 12. Some of the other notable. John Lennon, 12? Yep. I, I, I love John Lennon, but I don't think from a pure voice perspective that he should be anywhere near the top 20. Uh, Prince, 16. Elvis, 17. Elvis, Okay. I won't um, read the whole list, and, but you can check Prince, it out. And Prince, too, from a, yeah, from a vocal I'm perspective. I'm sure on Twitter today you'll be actively... I mean, if, if Prince and John Lennon walked up to a microphone, it wouldn't even be a contest. You know, John Lennon, legend, love him. And actually, I enjoy his voice and I love what he, what he did with it, but he had limited... Uh, ability relative to someone like Prince. It's not even a contest. Anyway. Okay. Well, I, you brought it, my friend. Thank you. And even though you didn't watch anything, you brought it. Let's see. What uh, what do I have? Um, I just finished, uh, what is it called? Uh, Love and Death, I think it's called. Uh, and it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It uh, follows this crazy story down in Texas of this woman that had an affair and then, you know, ended up killing the wife of... Uh, the guy that she had the affair with and it was just a, a big old mess but it's it's worth it love and death love and death so i watched that and then i also uh watched uh, it's, it's just called 9-11 it's about uh it's a documentary on 9-11 uh these two french filmmakers were actually embedded with a fire company in new york at the time of the attacks in new york and they were actually just following a a rookie fireman and it, and it ended up winning a bunch of awards. But what they've done is over the years, they've done 10 and now 15 um, years on where they go back and talk to people that featured in the film and see where they are. Many of them are still involved in firefighting at, at uh, many of them in the executive uh, level. But the footage that, that just comes from this video uh, and the original footage is from the day because they were down at Ground Zero, obviously following this company that went in and most that came out, all that kind of stuff. It's just incredibly powerful. And to see 10 and 15 years on, I'm sure there'll be a 20 uh, soon and, and that kind of stuff is, is just amazing to follow them. So I uh, recommend both of those. I really like this candle, my friend. Let's do it. All right, where should we start here? Because uh, I think it, uh, we, we mentioned off the top that we talked to uh, the great Julie Ertz. And I think that's where we should start, especially we are now 50-ish days away <clears throat> from the Women's World Cup this summer. And while she is still talking about making the team, she's going to be on the team. She's going to start and she's going to be great. And uh, we are better for Julie Ertz being back in soccer. And I got a chance to sit down and talk to her. And uh, she is she is a wonderful, wonderful soccer player, wonderful person. And as I said, a great American. So here is our interview with the great Julie Ertz. 
Welcome, Julie Ertz. Welcome to the uh, State of the Union podcast. Listen, uh, if you don't know who Julie Ertz is, well, you're a moron, and why the hell are you listening to a soccer podcast? 31 years old, a badass midfielder for the U.S. Women's National Team, played for many years for the Chicago Red Stars. Now, after a two-year, let's call it a sabbatical, uh, she returns <laughs> getting ready for the World Cup this summer and returns with Angel City. Welcome to the pod, Julie. Um, I know that you are uh, talking about a lot of different things, including this uh, partnership, Abbott and the Real Madrid Foundation to beat malnutrition. We'll talk about a little the, that a little bit later. But first off, I guess, how is your body doing as you return? And I will say this many years ago, probably before you were even born at the end of my career, I took a year off. I took kind of a sabbatical. And what I found was when I came back, I was running on adrenaline and and that only lasted for a little bit. And then you kind of regress to the mean and then you have to work yourself back up. I don't know if you've had the same experience, but how are you feeling right now physically, uh, emotionally, mentally as you prepare uh, not only for the World Cup, but continue to uh, do good things for Angel City? I feel good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm still running off of adrenaline. Um, I just enjoy it. I think, you know, having Madden gave me obviously a different perspective, but um, I think the joy of being back has just been at it's probably the highest peak. And yeah, I feel like I'm a different type of student of the game. Um, just being out. I don't feel like I've been out um, as long as uh, everybody has been counting the days. But um, yeah, I feel good. And I've just enjoyed it. And kind of, you know, every every practice and every game, I've just kind of been using it to continue to grow. So you say you're 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 a different type of student of the game. So how does that manifest on the field? Like, what are you doing differently, or what are you doing better that you're almost two years off? And you mentioned that you know the birth of your son Madden kind of helped you in terms of the perspective of of an actual soccer player. I mean, I think positioning wise, obviously, it's easier to watch when you're <laughs> watching like the screen mm -hmm. um, than being on the field. So I think maybe just positioning wise and different types of tactics in that way. Um, but I also think just like, like kind of playing with a different um, perspective and joy, I think just changes the way you kind of approach the game. Um, I think that's obviously an obvious one. But yeah, I think being able to kind of start for the first time um, ever, I think in my career from kind of ground zero of really just building up um, kind of as a whole, it just, and not that you don't in the sense of every time you play, but once I started my career season, it's, I mean, you're for us, it was like 11 months out of the year and then you have December off and then you start back up in January. So um, and I think there's obviously really, you know, good fitness in that as well, but really this is the first time that I kind of could reset as a player. So, um, there's that too. And I think just being able to try and, you know, grow each game, each practice and hopefully peak at the right time. You know, I, I, when you, uh, made your announcement that you were coming back, I said, listen, a 80% Julie Ertz is better than 100% of a lot of players that we have out there. Uh, I was talking to your coach, uh, Freya Kuhn, the other day, and she could not be more effusive of how uh, professional you are and how great an addition you are. But as you get back, what are some of the things that you're finding is, is the last to come back or the hardest part to come back? You're just so good. There's nothing. I get it. I get it. I understand. <laughs> no, no, no. I, it's like right now you mean, or just like when I was trying to come back, yeah. because obviously when you come back from pregnancy, there's a lot of things that change. So I had to yeah, let my body heal. So like, I would say that was, that was tough of like change of direction and stuff. But again, I think the reason, well, of course I would have loved to come back 
you know, January or way earlier, it just wasn't in the cards for me um, in the process of getting back. I think also being a veteran at some point, you kind of just understand the expectation, right? Like you under expectation, what it is and what an honor it is to be in every camp um, and what the expectation is for when you're there. So I'm competitive as it is. And if I wasn't feeling like I could actually compete and actually bring something, then I wasn't going to be a joy to play with or be a joy to be around. Um, So I think just in that process of coming back, I just enjoyed the process of it. And obviously there's ups and downs getting back. I mean, I hate puking when I run, but that's just kind of some point you have to get to, to get to where the expectation is. So yeah, I think right now it's just, I want to get better in everything and continue to grow each game, but I'm not going to just, I don't have time to sit and sulk and be like, okay, well, um, I don't, you know, right now, maybe that's not where I wanted it, but I don't have time to do that. I don't have, uh, all I have time for is to commute to get better and prove my worth to the team. Um, Cause every game I have, not only am I trying to prove to Vladko, I'm trying to earn the respect of my teammates because I'm playing against them. If being on a roster is a possibility. So I don't know. I, it's not that I don't want to continue to get better in every aspect. It's just, I know my my timeline and I know my expectation kind of going into this. All right. We're recording this 50 days out uh, from the World Cup. Uh, Dynamics in sports and obviously in a locker room are very, very important. So you come into Angel City. Obviously, there's a lot of attention on you because you're a freaking legend, but also because of the World Cup coming up. And if you're on that team, you are going to go for potentially three in a row, something again that has never been done before men's or uh, or women's. But, you know, how is how did you navigate that dynamic? Because I can I can picture myself or put myself in the shoes of others when you come in and say, well, is she just using Angel City and NWSL to get ready for the World Cup? Or is she actually invested and wants to play for this team? Because the World Cup's going to come and go and Angel City is going to continue on after that. No, I mean, I think that's a reality. But I think going into I think it's very clear anybody's goal, right? I think anybody's dream that's playing um, in this league wants to play for their national team, you know, regardless if that's the U.S. or wherever. I think that's everybody's ultimate goal, right? Is if you're playing soccer, you want to play at the highest level. So I don't think that's any secret by no means. Um, and also, I think I've made it very clear with you know the organization as well. And I think that was one of the beauty of Angel City as well is that was one of the resources when I was talking about which team that I could help grow in. That that their main goal was how can we help you in your goals and your focus. So. Um, and the team's been absolutely incredible um, with that. And I think just the professionalism of understanding kind of um, that what a beautiful thing it is that your job is to be able to play this sport. Um, and I think just within sports in general, right? Like um, that's if somebody, you know, is away or not in the field, that's another opportunity for somebody else to play as well. So I think it's just it's just part of it. You know, I think that's how the NWSL is, you know, the, every player is wanting to win for their team, but also to kind of show themselves to, to black So, um, I think it's just kind of ingrained and built into the league as well. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but many, many years ago when you were playing for the national team in the, uh, in the Canada world cup up in Vancouver, you came on our set, our incredible set that we had our Fox set up there. Yeah, and, it, was uh, awesome it was an incredibly uh, emotional, uh, you know, exchange. And I, I made you cry. Uh, you're not the first person that I've, uh, that I've made cry uh, coming, <laughs> uh, coming on the show, but you have grown so much as a person. And as a player, as I said, we're 50 days out, uh, from the world cup. Do you anticipate continuing to play 
post 2023? Or is this a short term type of situation and just whatever happens this summer happens and then whatever happens with Angel City this season happens and then you'll make a decision going forward? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I'm really loving it right now. So um, obviously when you add a kid to the mix, there's so many logistics of everything trying to figure out. So I don't feel like I necessarily have an answer, uh, but I feel like it's just to continue to fall in love with the sport. And as long as you love it and enjoy it, I think it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely hard to step away from, that's for sure. All right. Well, listen, I hope you play as long as possible. Uh, but I also recognize that if and when uh, your career does stop, that you're going to go on and do some some incredible things. Do you ever think about what your life would look like, even though the last two years it's kind of it's, it's been a little, uh, you know, soccer list, but what a life completely without soccer looks like post playing career? I mean, I definitely love being a mom. That's been a that's been a huge joy and um, something that I've always wanted to be. So I've really just enjoyed my time with Madden. Um, also, just been really passionate with our foundation work as well. Um, I've, I've heard you and others that are and become moms, especially during a career, talk about the impact that it has on you. How, how is that? Obviously, I, I can't understand that. So how does how does it impact you as a soccer player and make you different as a person and therefore a soccer player having a player within your playing career? Um, yeah, I think it just I, it's obviously a balance. I think that's a huge thing. But I think when you do have the opportunities to play, it's kind of like you're playing for like a bigger reason. And um, it's cool just to show like, and not that necessarily Madden will probably remember any of this, but it's just, it puts a perspective so differently and a different joy to be able to have and be a part of it. Um, but also a huge like strength and confidence piece for me to be coming back after pregnancy because it is such a whirlwind of emotion, a whirlwind of change. Um, and so to be able to get back, I think just the adversity of facing coming back from pregnancy is a lot because you just go through so much. So I think your appreciation for your body, I think your appreciation for your family, um, and your appreciation to do the job that you love, um, changes. I also think you kind of understand the platform that you have. And I know that we've talked before while we're on here with kind of Abbott and Real Madrid and obviously my passion for, you know, the youth and what we do with our foundation, but also being a part and raising awareness of other things. So like with, um, with what Real Madrid Foundation Abbott are doing with the beat malnutrition for their last La Liga game as um, everybody's wearing their armband. Um, I know the players have given an armband and their fans are, um, will all have the armband as well to, to raise awareness for things that are important in our world. Um, and hopefully beating um, and screening early for childhood malnutrition. So I know that we were talking about in the beginning. I just wanted to make sure the importance of that and understanding like being a mom, understanding my platform as well. Um, I think, yeah, being later in my career, I think you kind of learn the balance of it. And that, you know, I think when you're so young and early in your career, you think that you have so much time. Um so I think just knowing now towards later, it's just like, I just, I want to soak in everything and enjoy everything. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I feel like that was a really long answer. No, so sorry about that. it was wonderful. I mean, look, you're, you're doing wonderful things on and off the field and we welcome you back on the field, but you know, your legacy is going to continue on even after you're kicking a ball. And you mentioned, uh, you know, the Earth's Family Foundation and the House of Hope uh, that you opened up earlier and that kind of stuff. And then obviously this association, this partnership, Abbott and the Real Madrid Foundation to beat uh, malnutrition. So that, that's all good. You know, I talked to, um, I, I talked to our, our friend, uh, our colleague, uh, a woman that is going to be with us down in, uh, 
uh, Australia, uh, down in Sydney with uh, with our Fox uh, World Cup production, uh, Car- the great Carly Lloyd. And I asked her about you and she wanted to know a couple of things. So first and foremost, <laughs> she wants to know, do you still and I'm not saying that she's calling you a kiss ass. But she wants to know, do you still sit front row when it comes to team meetings? <laughs> you know, what's so funny. Actually, I think as I've come back in on um, both teams, actually, in the nas- when I was back with the national team in here, I actually sit in the back row. Um, I believe you have to earn uh, your stripes, I guess, is what, whatever the, the saying is. Right. Um, uh, so I... You know, that's what happens. You go back in, you have to re-earn your respect. Uh, I just, I think there's just something to it when you have to grind again. And so I have actually, um, I sit in the back so with you, my contacts on. Okay, so you, you look at yourself now as a rookie, basically. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a good thing to kind of feel as if you're the underdog. I think it totally makes sure that you are humbled. And I think that's just, it's just a good approach for me to stay focused. She also, Carly Lloyd, she also wanted to know, uh, do you still wear pants constantly during training? (laughs) What? Um, It was really hot in LA, like not like this past few, actually last week was actually cool. Um, But I do, I do, um, with the, with the national team, I did. Yes. Um, but when it gets too hot and I'm like, but yeah, I, I like wearing pants that way. If I'm sliding or whatever, I'm not getting you do you. And speaking of sliding, what, one of our other questions had to do with slide tackling. Look, you, you have made your name as a rough and tumble type of player. And I know sometimes when people get labeled that uh, it, it can be a little bit offensive because you are without a doubt skillful and you can get involved in the attack and all that. So when, when you go on the field though, you enjoy the physical nature of the game and getting stuck in and doing all that. And obviously that's part of a part, uh, part of your job has the physical part just Absolutely. come back naturally. Yeah, I think it has uh, a lot of buildup for sure. So um, sometimes I need to tame it in. So it's just, it's all about balance and moderation, but I think it's a fun part of the game. I think it fires people up. I think uh, they're, they're definitely, well, one, it's, it's good as I'm a defensive player for sure. But two, I think it also can add um, some motivation to the team around. I think we all kind of get juiced off of it. So I think it's an important piece of the game, too. All right. A couple more questions, then I'll let you go. I know you got uh, much more important stuff to do here. As we said, 50 days out from the World Cup right now. You came back to the national team uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, five minutes in, by the way, you got a yellow card. Loved it. Uh, And, uh, you know, you're only going to get better. When you look at this national team, and every national team is different, and every campaign is different, what are we to, what are we to look for when it comes to this national? I'm just assuming you're going to be there, but you still have to work, as we said. What are we going to look at this summer when it comes to this version of the U.S. Women's National Team that has done so much good and been so successful? How is this one going to be the same, and how is this one going to be different? I'm, you know, I really like the well variety of attackers that you have. I think that it's been fun to watch as time goes on that they try different formations as well and um, be exposed to different things. So I really kind of enjoy that as like just women's soccer in general has been growing. Um, I really enjoy the young talent. I think people are going to really enjoy that skillful set that they have. I think they add a different like technical footwork piece um, um, that, it, that it has been a joy to be. Um, and I think just a really hungry team. I think people are just like ready to, to, to kind of show what they have as I know, I think, you know, I'm sure people have been talking about what's going to do, like what players, this, what, what players that, whatever. And, 
I think you have a fun mix of um, most likely a, a handful of obviously veterans and a handful of younger players that I think have really gelled together. Um, and I think just watching each player kind of in the NWSL kind of grow into what their skills are. I think it's been really fun to see every player peak at their time. So like every year, you're going to see some exciting things. Um, I just think that the skill level of individuals, especially with the younger players, um, are, are, are going to be really fun. Who's impression? Like who's, who do you think is going to star this summer? If you had to pick one, put all your money on it. Um, you know, I think it goes without saying it's, it's super fun to watch. So I think her, her attacking one B one mindset and able to one finish, but two just kind of read spaces has been a joy and obviously no surprise how well she did, um, last year, um, in the NWSL as well as continue this year. Um, I'm also, I'm always going to be a huge crystal fan. Obviously I think she just is such a competitor. Um, and she's been phenomenal in this NWSL season as well. So, um, I feel like it starts being, well, Lynn is another one too. I mean, I think she's just coming up. I just, I don't quite understand European soccer because she just keeps winning cups after cups. I'm like, I don't, didn't you just win a tournament last week and you're winning a tournament this week. So <laughs> clearly she's doing something right. Obviously I've played in end of my whole career. So I have no idea. I'm like, I feel like you just won a t- tournament last week, whatever. So she's doing her thing. Um, and obviously I think she's a, a world-class player as well. So I feel like if I, at this point, you're just going to have me keep going. If I go any further, That's all right. no, individual listen. player. No, I, I, I love I'm it. a fan. I'm a fan of, of the team. So it's like hard for me to just pick out a few, but I'll just go with those for right now. Well, you know, at this point, everything that you have done on and off the field, you also, like I said, have this legacy and you have this impact when it comes to not just the NWSL, not just the U.S. Women's National Team, but but American soccer. And look, you know, you stood on the shoulders as we all did from previous generations and have made it better. And now you have made it better for that next generation when it comes to, you know, I've worked a bunch of women's World Cups. I've worked women's soccer and it. I love it. Men's, women's, co-ed, naked, doesn't matter. I love talking about (laughs) soccer. When you think about women's soccer in general, at times, do you ever get exhausted about all of the other stuff that seems to be talked about when it comes to women's soccer as opposed to just the just the on the field and uh what goes on off the field and the you know the uh it could be anything you know social causes or all that kind of stuff sometimes it feels like women's soccer and women's soccer players have this added uh burden of having to talk about a lot of other things that don't even necessarily always have directly to do with soccer do you feel that or is, is that just me um, I mean, I don't know. Cause it's like the only thing, like, I feel like I've known since I've been a part of it, but I also have yep. seen the growth of women's soccer. And really, if you look at my career from the, from like the time I started in 20, geez, 13, well, 13 with 13? the national team, with the national team yep. is kind of what I meant like yep. specifically, um, uh, was also kind of when I was drafted kind of as well. So just kind of around that time, like my, my complete timeline has just been when, women's soccer has been accelerated Mm -hmm. of growth. You know, I mean, it just freaking took off. So I think just watching the growth of it, it's like hard to know, you know, um, like it just has been a part of it, I guess, the whole time that I've been there, but just to see the growth and I guess the dream kind of come a reality, like, you know, seeing. What would you, what would you want? What would you want done differently when it comes to women's soccer, either on or off the field? If you could just wave your magic, Julie Ertz Swan, things could change. I, you know, it's just, it's getting there every single year. So it's just like, you're selling out games, like women's, I think the champions league final for women sold out, like 
we've played sold out games in the world cup. Like, I think it's just amazing. I think for me, it's just, you just want people to enjoy the sport as much as you do, because it's just, there's gives so much amazing opportunity. My whole life has been soccer and without it, there, there's this opportunities of things that I've had to be able to go to college or just travel the world or do what I love or, you know, inspire young girls. Like it just, because I've had the joy of doing that, like in part of that is because, you know, fans are investing in us and watching it grow and being a part of it and adding so much joy to the game, just having fans there. I know that it's going to be a joy for, you know, somebody that's 12 years old dreaming to be on the team, you know, like, I didn't know that there was going to be a, I didn't know I could play professionally when I was growing up because there was never really leagues that like really were sustained. You know what I mean? Like they folded or all this. So now that people can be like, Oh, I want to be a professional soccer player and play for angel city is like that sentence alone. I didn't have when I was younger. I just was like, Oh, I want to play soccer. And like, hopefully I could go to college. So, and obviously the national team was there just, I didn't, wasn't really on TV as much. So I didn't really watch it growing up. So I think just that aspect of it has been such a joy. So like, because it's getting there and these games are selling out, it's like, I have so much um, appreciation that it's like, yeah, it'd be great to just, you know, do my magic wand or whatever, like to make it what it is now. But like, I think because my appreciation for that growth um, was, I guess, organic and people chose it versus me just being like, you have to do this. I mean, every time someone buys a ticket, it's like a ticket to somebody's dream because I've seen exactly that. I've watched the DNA of this team um, fight to have views and people and fans and growth. And that started with players way before me and including the men's side. Well, I buy a ticket to watch Juilliard's. Uh, listen, uh, before we go uh, one more time, tell us a little bit more about the uh, relationship and the partnership Abbott and the Real Madrid Foundation to beat uh, malnutrition. Yep. Um, they are bringing attention to the issue of childhood malnutrition and just the importance for kids to be screened early on um, for the issue. So um, they have these armbands, the players were given to them, the fans will be given to them, but it um, resembles, um, they kind of created it to resemble a MUOC score tape, which is basically what is calculated to see childhood malnutrition early. Um, and so that's that's incredible what they're trying to do within their foundation is. Um, but if you want more information, I know that my, my social accounts, but beatmalnutrition.com will give you more information. But what they're doing is um, obviously super important as uh, one in three people in the world are suffering from malnutrition. So um, just an amazing cause. And I'm just grateful to be able to help elevate their voice and what they're doing. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Listen, Julie Ertz, badass midfielder for the U S women's national team. Hell of an American. Uh, I, I love watching you so much, uh, and I'm so happy for you and everything that's going on, that you're back with the national team, that you're back playing soccer. Congratulations uh, to you and your husband on uh, the birth of Madden, oh, coming up on a year here this uh, this uh, this summer, and we look forward to watching you with the national team. Knock on wood, you stay healthy and continue on, and then obviously post that with Angel City, and who knows what happens next year, but regardless, you have already left the legacy, and you've already done incredible things on and off the field, and we couldn't thank you more for being on the uh, State of the Union podcast. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Okay, so that was uh, Julie Ertz. I, I think I should do a coda here, uh, Mossy, because in the interview, I mentioned that when I first interviewed Julie Ertz, it was years ago back in Canada, in Vancouver, and I mentioned it uh, to her. And I just want to give you a little more context. This was as they were going through the tournament, and they had finally gotten to Vancouver at the end of the tournament. And 
the game that Julie Ertz had played, she had taken uh, the opponent down for a penalty. I thought it probably should have been a, a red card, but she knew that she had escaped individually and potentially had put their World Cup hopes in peril. And she had just kind of jumped on the scene. So she was still young and very um, uh, and had and had very little experience. And I, I talked about her getting getting emotional, not not because of anything that I said, but we were talking about what could have been. Now, ultimately, it all turned out great for her and the team and they won the World Cup. But after that game, you could tell that there was a real emotional part of it that she understood that it's just small details. And I, I think she mentioned that in the uh, in the interview that sometimes as great as the U.S. team is, it's small details that can change your fates individually and collectively as uh, as a team. And but we saw a person. We saw a wonderful person. And I think you got to know her even more uh, over this uh, interview that we just did. And we wish her luck uh, going forward. All right. Well, let's switch to the men's uh, side, the men's national team. We are in the summer. We are uh, you know, the, the games are upon us and we have a roster drop, Mossy roster drop uh, for the Nations League. Keep in mind that this is a two game affair that uh, BJ Callahan and company <laughs> will be uh, uh, will be playing first game semifinal against Mexico and then uh, potentially a final against uh, Canada or uh, Panama, Panama. There we go. So. All right. So uh, shall we just go through the roster here, Mossy? Should we do that? Sure. All right, so goalkeepers, which we kind of left out on the uh, earlier episode. Interesting picks from BJ and company. Drake Callender from Inter-Miami. Zero caps for the U.S. national team. So he gets his first call up. Josh Cohen, who many of you may remember in uh, Champions League, uh, playing from uh, Maccabi Haifa uh, over in Israel. Also zero caps. So he gets called into the national team, potentially, uh, to get his first cap. Sean Johnson. Uh, there's a, a, a player that we have known for many, many years now playing up there uh, for TFC up in Toronto. And then I think the number one uh, goalkeeper right now, Matt Turner, uh, playing for Arsenal, gets called in. He has 26 caps. So, yes, some surprises in this in this goalkeeping crew. Although we come to find out that Ethan Horvath, um, just coming off a of promotion, and that incredible game. But if you watched that game, you saw that he was holding his hamstring. So he is hurt. And Zach Steffen evidently is hurt uh, also. So it's a little understandable. Also keep in mind, in terms of context, this is just for the two games. There will be a whole nother roster for the Gold Cup. There might be some mixing and matching, but the the wisdom kind of out there is that this is going to be, for lack of a better word, the, the A national team. And then for the Gold Cup, there's going to be an A minus or a B plus type of team. Yeah, what we've heard is that this was going to be a mostly European-based squad, and then the Gold Cup would be a mostly MLS-based squad. So if there are any big-name MLS players absent from this list that surprise you, it's probably because they're saving them for the Gold Cup. Got it, got it. Uh, any, um, any goalkeeping uh, chatter that, uh, or no, reaction? No, given okay. the absences you mentioned, Horvath and Stefan, yeah, this list makes more sense to me. And, and look, I think Drake and Josh are just coming in to kind of get a feel for who they are. I don't see them playing in either of these games. You know, unless it'll be interesting to see if the U.S. loses to Mexico, they still have another game. It will be a third-place game. And will BJ try to, you know, give some time to a goalkeeper that, you know, is basically new to the situation or Sean Johnson uh, get another uh, chance. All right. Defenders. Serginho Dest, Chris Richards, uh, the Robinsons in Anthony and Miles, Joe Scally, 
uh, Austin Trusty and Walker Zimmerman. So there's an MLS player that's kind of, uh, you know, flipping the script here and being part of it. That's two MLS players, actually, if you include Miles Robinson, too. Um, not a whole lot of surprises here. And this, I think, could easily have been your World Cup type of uh, defenders that were called to uh, called to Qatar. Plenty to choose from here. Keep in mind that that, that Zimmerman... Uh, Miles Robinson tandem that we didn't ultimately get to see because of Miles Robinson's um, horrible injury now is on the offing here, potentially going forward. And uh, no Tim Ream, no Cameron Carter-Vickers uh, due to injury. I think that might have been your starting combination had those two players been fit and available given the way they played at club level this season. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That opens the door for Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman. Um, and you've got Serginio Dest coming off kind of a lost season at AC Milan. Curious to see how he looks. Chris Richards didn't play a whole lot with Crystal Palace, so some interesting names on this list for sure. But I will get into this in a second, but I'm always interested to see how players think about the national team. I'm never going to know. I mean, I know how I thought about it, and it, just because I thought about it in a certain way doesn't necessarily mean others do, but uh, hold on, I'll hold, I'll hold that for a second. So uh, midfielders... <laughs> Your boy Johnny Cardoso, I do not understand this, but he's back, baby. Johnny Cardoso uh, back uh, with the, in the midfield. Luca De La Torre, Weston McKinney, Yunus Musa, Gio Reyna, uh, and Alan Senora. So, you know, some interesting calls there, uh, including the return of uh, Gio Reyna and some usual suspects. And also, you know, the infatuation with Johnny Cardoso continues. I know I keep harping on this, but no Tyler Adams. When he was put on the provisional squad, we thought maybe there was a chance, but uh, not available due to injury. Uh, James Sands played pretty well as the six in that friendly against Mexico in Glendale. But if they're saving him for the Gold Cup, then that leaves this squad without a six. Uh, so again, we have that issue of midfield composition. I don't know among this group of players who would play as the six, um, which... You can get away with that against the likes of Grenada, but sure. against Mexico, you yep. kind of think you do need that type of player. All right. Well, that'll be interesting uh, to see there. And then when it comes to forwards, uh, this is the way they're listed. Uh, Brendan Aronson, Balogun, Fulern uh, Balogun. So we will see him for the first time. Uh, Taylor Booth playing over there in the Netherlands for Utrecht. Uh, let's see. Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Timmy Weah. And Alex Zendayas over there uh, playing in uh, Mexico for Club America. So uh, what stands out to you there? Well, my question would be, first of all, it's a very impressive collection yep. of players. Uh, does Balogun start right away, or is there a sense that you have to earn your way into the starting lineup and maybe Pepe would get the call against Mexico? I don't think that the hierarchy relative to Pepe is such that he supersedes. Jesus, then maybe you get into a little bit. I mean, I know he's not, Jesus isn't here, but had he been part of this, then maybe I think you start him. I mean, I think, look, unless unless he's showing up at training and just does, has no idea how to kick the ball, um, I think I think you start him and say, hey, look, you know, into the fire and let's see what you got against a good team. I, I'll, to be quite honest, I don't want to see him play against bad competition. I want to see him play where he is challenged. Now, is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I think he, I think he should, and I think that he will start. Yeah, is that is that unfair to Pepe? I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't think Pepe's done enough. Keep in mind, he did not, you know, he was not part of the uh, 
of the World Cup team. So I I don't I don't see this happening. I, I don't see him being the incumbent in a situation like this, despite the fact that obviously he has played for the national team and he has scored for the national team. The other question would be, presumably Pulisic starts on one wing, then that, that other wing you have Gio, who's had this super sub role with Dortmund, Timmy Weah, who spent most of the season playing fullback for Lille, Aronson, who's had his struggles with Leeds. Keep in mind, with Aronson or Reyna, they could play as a 10 in a more attacking formation. Be interesting to see which way B.J. Callahan goes with that. I think that he goes as a more of a 10. I think you want to get... With Reyna as a 10? With Reyna as a 10. I think you do want to get more. And then, you know, maybe you put... Um, you put Weston and Eunice kind of behind him to protect it. So there's, you know, it's more by committee back there. Which, although I don't think it's Weston's best position, it is a role he played quite a lot with leads down the stretch because Tyler Adams was out. Sure, and and look, he can he can uh, he can figure that uh, that out. Um, all right, so it's it's an interesting mix. And, and back to what I was talking about earlier, I wonder how many of these players look. They've many of them have played a long season. And many of them absolutely deserve and need time off just like anybody else. But, you know, I think back a long time ago, I remember never, ever wanting to get Wally pipped. I remember never being secure. And some of these players probably are incredibly secure with their position with the national team, much more so than I ever was. But I wonder how many of them, first off, are going to be involved in multiple camps, so also be involved in the Gold Cup roster. And how many of them actually would want to, if given the opportunity, do that? I kind of want them to want that. I I want them to be involved on a consistent basis with the national team. And yeah, look, part of being an international is recognizing that your summers are going to be filled with games. You're not just going to be sitting on a beach somewhere the whole time. And I'm not saying that they don't they don't need time off. You can still give players time off, but you know, maybe I don't think I was wired differently. I do think that there are there is an element out there, and maybe it's older players. I don't know. Maybe it's younger players. Maybe it's just in you or it isn't you that says I want to play. At fifty three, you now qualify as grumpy old man on the porch. Absolutely, so keep that in mind. With Absolutely, takes. yes. <laughs> uh, last thing, then uh, move on from from this. Um, we were deprived of seeing Zendejas play against Mexico in that friendly in Glendale because America didn't release him. Yep. But we do get that here. That's going to be juicy in terms of dual national pickups. That was a big win for the U.S. over Mexico. We'll see what that dynamic is. This is not the way that the tournament would have been drawn up. Obviously, you want U.S.-Mexico to be in the final, but Mexico didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And so now you have to face them in a semifinal. And so it makes for an incredibly juicy semifinal. It'll take a little bit of the luster off of the uh, the final because you know U.S. Mexico is a whole nother a whole nother level. But right off the bat, BJ's got to have these guys uh, ready to go against our major major rival and one that let's be uh, let's be honest, we as the U.S. have owned now for a while, and I think they will be licking their chops uh, for the opportunity. This is in uh, Vegas, right? Correct. June fifteen, Vegas. June 15. And then, like we said, Panama, Panama versus Canada uh, on the other side. And then so we'll see ultimately who uh, 
who faces off in the final. And then, as I said, there's a third place game. And hopefully it's Canada because that would be a really fun final oh, as well. I would love that. I would love, love, love that. What else you got? Uh, dropping down to the youth ranks, mm -hmm. the U.S. now with four wins out of four at the U-20 World Cup, still have not conceded a goal. They hammer New Zealand 4-0 in the round of 16. Wolf, Cowell, Che, and Puxtas with the goals. So the U.S. flying into the quarterfinals. They'll play again Sunday against either Uruguay or Gambia. We're taping this on Thursday morning. Those two play shortly. So by the time you hear this podcast, you'll know who they're facing. Uh, this is the fourth straight U-20 World Cup. The U.S. has reached the quarterfinals. No other nation has done that. And they are absolutely capable of winning this whole thing. They're playing as well as anybody. The big story on the other side of the draw was that Argentina got knocked out by Nigeria. So... I think we could be sitting here 10 days from now talking about the U.S. winning a World Cup. I know you're not the biggest youth guy, but, but I you'd have it. to admit yeah, uh, that I would be notable. It. Listen, I, it would be notable. It would be, it would be wonderful. Does it completely change the complexion of U.S. soccer? No, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing for the individual players, and it's a good thing for soccer. Uh, by the way, our under-20 uh, U.S. women are also doing well, too. So there's uh, you know a lot of stuff going on, a lot of good stuff going on. As you mentioned... This is nothing that hasn't been done before for a U-20 uh, men's national team. So now it gets into the nitty-gritty and the one-off types uh, types of games. But so far, so good. That's Anything it. Else? All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk about some other things, uh, including some upcoming games. Don't go anywhere. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, welcome back. Uh, as you can see, I'm all shaved up and showered up because uh, we went to work on television this week with the uh, broadcast of CCL Baby, uh, LAFC versus Leon in the first of the two-legged affair. And for a long time during the game, Mossy, it looked like that LAFC was going to come away empty-handed and basically face... A two nothing, and really probably at, at a certain point should have been three, maybe even more loss down there to uh, to Leon and bring that back to LA for the game, which is uh, which is this Sunday. However, right at the death, they were able to uh, figure out a way to score a goal, a huge, huge goal, and you could see in the moment that uh, Denny Bawanga, who does things so well um, and such a consistency, puts the ball in the back of the net that the mentality and the complexion of this affair fundamentally changed in that moment. I think we were all ready not to write off LAFC, but to say this is a big hole that they have dug themselves in, finishing 2-0, and like I said, could have been 3-0, and VAR saved them at a certain moment. Goalkeeper McCarthy saved them at a different, different moments. But 2-1, to one, that is workable, and that is absolutely a positive for Steve Torundolo and company. Yeah, the Leon goals, uh, Tessio with a header in the opening minutes, and then Angel Mena from the penalty spot late in the first half. Interesting VAR decision. Hollingshead called for that handball. What did you make of that one? I, I'm okay with it. Um, this, this is one of the things that I know people get angry about is that, you know, if you can't see it quickly, and if it's clear and obvious has nothing to do with being 
done quickly, okay, as far as the way that I read it. If it takes you multiple views and multiple angles to ultimately get to that definitive type of, uh, of moment, then that's what it takes. But in that moment, it is clear and obvious that Hollingshead's hand is in a position in which not only is it unnatural, but it blocks the header from actually going on goal. Would it have gone in? I don't know. But we're never going to find out because of a hand being placed uh, in that position. So it blocks the ball, and instead of actually going on net, it goes over the goal. Now, in real time, you don't see it, but this is why we have VAR. And they went back and they looked at it. I think it was the absolute right uh, right call. Back in the day, nobody would have, you know, it would just have gone on. Nobody would have cared or said anything. But we're not in the day. We're in a new age where VAR makes a decision. And in that situation, I think they got it right. And whatever you think of that decision, Leon, were good value for yeah. that 2-0 halftime lead. They had dominated the first half. The onslaught continued in the second half. And as you mentioned, 2-0 would have felt like a letoff uh, for LAFC. And for them to get that goal at the end, Buang, his seventh Champions League goal this season, 17th in all competitions, absolutely unbelievable. And, you know, in thinking about, um, in addition to all the tangible reasons why MLS has caught up to and arguably surpassed League MX, right. the improvement in quality, tactical awareness, uh, player development, cracking the South American market, etc. Also, this bad juju that MLS teams had for so many years in this competition, it seems to have flipped. If you think about that Puma-Seattle first leg last year, Pumas was up 2-1. Uh, last few seconds, and then Christian Roldan was able to draw this bizarre penalty out of nowhere. Ladero converted it 2-2, completely changed the feel of that tie going back to Seattle, and I think this Buanga goal has done that as well on this tie. So yeah, those breaks, I mean, this game five years ago, a Mexican team playing at home the way Leon played, an MLS team playing the way LAFC played would have been 4 or 5-0, but yep. somehow the breaks are starting to go MLS's way. I mean, and credit to Steve Tarandolo and that team for fighting through to the end. And, you know, while there was four minutes of extra time, it ended up being in the 96th minute or whatever. So uh, the, the CONCACAFI type of nature actually worked in favor of LAFC. And that's even a change. The other change I think that is happening is, you know, we came out of air last night, myself and Rob Stone and, and Stu Holden, and we started talking about how the attitudes towards this tournament have shifted a little bit in that the whole kumbaya, everything, everybody for MLS, all for one, one for all type of uh, mantra. While there are still, I, while there's still, I think, a recognition that all things being equal, you want MLS to do well. I think MLS teams, and we've talked about this before, have become much more tribal and MLS fandom has become much more tribal. And there were plenty of LA, uh, LA Galaxy fans hate watching and not wanting LAFC to do uh, to do well, and I think that that's that's not a that's not a bad thing. That's kind of evolution, and that's kind of how uh, how it works here. But LAFC right now is the cream of the crop. They did they looked out of out of sorts in that game yesterday, and there were a lot of unusual types of individual errors and collective errors. Both goals came off of set pieces. And the marking was not uh, was not good. And consistently there was diving in and there was just a general immaturity that you don't associate with a Steve Terundolo team and certainly with this version of LAFC. In uh, researching for this match, uh, reading a lot of Mexican newspapers the last few days, it's fascinating to me the complicated relationship they have with Carlos Vela because he never played in Liga MX and he's turned down so many calls from the national team through the years. So. It is kind of a love-hate. It is their player, so to some degree, they're proud that Mexico was able to produce this very good player. But 
they've actually haven't been able to reap the rewards from that all that much over the years. I mean, look, he is an enigma <laughs> and, and understandably so with his fractured relationship with the United or with the, uh, the Mexican national team. But when it comes to Carlos Vela, who it should be said, he did not have a good game. He did not show in that uh, first leg. And so he's going to have to come back, I think, and have to have a monster game. And he's certainly capable of that. But when all was said and done with Carlos Vela, I, I, we were talking about this last night. I think that his legacy is going to be first and foremost associated with LAFC and how much he has meant to that organization in particular uh, and to and to MLS and what he has done. And so when he's done playing, that is what is going to ultimately be celebrated from this, you know, this 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 sensational player who from an early age I think everybody recognized the talent but it's it's taken LAFC to really bring out that talent to its utmost and on a consistency that let's be honest we just have not seen during his uh his club professional career one of your most controversial takes in the history of this podcast was years ago when you said he was a top 25 player in the world. I still hear about that to this really? day. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, getting <laughs> get, get, uh, get in line. But anyway, uh, second leg uh, on Sunday, uh, we will be broadcasting it. So we're looking, looking forward to that. And like we said, LAFC trying to make a statement, not just for themselves, but also that it wasn't an anomaly last year when Seattle was able to win CONCACAF Champions League and represent the uh, the region in the uh, FIFA Club World Cup. And by the way, it should be said that the winner of this uh, CONCACAF Champions League not only gets the opportunity to go to the next FIFA Club World Cup, but also the following one, which is an expanded one, right, Mossy? Correct, in 2025. Oh, my goodness. Uh, switching gears to MLS, a couple of major news items to address. First off, uh, L'Equipe is reporting that Barcelona and Inter Miami are in cahoots to try to keep Lionel Messi from going to Saudi Arabia. The plan is for Inter Miami to sign him and then loan him to Barcelona for the next year or so. That would allow Barcelona to work around their financial limitations. They would get Messi back. But everybody would know the end date, so this time he could have a proper farewell, which he was deprived last time because of the circumstances in which he left. And Inter Miami would be willing to wait a little bit longer if it guarantees that they're going to eventually get him. And then presumably come 2024, he would come to MLS. Makes sense to me. <laughs> I mean, if this is how it gets done, fine. I think what Inter Miami is really saying is they need this player to get some playing time uh, and they want to loan him out to, you know, a suitable type of environment that's going to nurture him so that when he comes back to the mothership, which is Inter Miami, he will be able to perform. Uh, look, if if this, like I said, is true, first and foremost, um, and then is is feasible, I mean, I guess it's within the rules and what you are doing and if this enables Messi to ultimately be in MLS, in this case with uh, with Inter Miami, it sounds like a good deal. But the financial hurdles, I mean, what Saudi Arabia is offering, if, if it is to be believed, are so astronomical. I mean, does Inter Miami have that type of money to really compete along with what Barcelona and and do the two still make even close to what Saudi Arabia is able to offer? No, I, this is a question of money versus football and family. There's no way to argue money-wise. And we can see how tempting that money is, as evidenced by the fact that big news today, it sounds like Kareem Benzema is headed to Saudi Arabia. He was offered a two-year, $400 million contract. And it's not official official yet, but everybody's reporting 99% he's going to go. 
Um, and so Ronaldo's already there, Benzema now. The Saudis are are coming in hot and trying to lure a lot of star players there. So we'll from, see an, if, from an Inter Miami yeah. perspective, obviously they would then reap the benefits later on, and so it would be a postponed type of thing. But also from a branding perspective, I think it would work out great for them because they would be seen as this not just benevolent, but charitable type of situation that came in and saved not just the deal, but gave Barcelona fans ultimately what they want to see, which is another go around. And to your point, a proper send off and a thank you for arguably the greatest player ever to play the game, uh, playing for the, the team that he is most and will be forever associated with. And there are reports, and you can speak to this having brought David Beckham to MLS, that Messi would get some sort of ownership stake in Inter-Miami. So financially, maybe that's how they can try to combat what the Saudis are offering. I mean, yeah, exactly. So do you offer him the way Beckham was an expansion team? And what is the fee now? Because keep in mind that the latest expansion was for $500 million. Uh, So if you offer him a cut rate type of situation and a, a bargain you know what does that mean? Three hundred million dollars or something like that. Keep in mind that David Beckham, at the at the point that we signed him, was offered you know twenty five million dollars for it, which is an incredible deal. And we've talked about this before. What just just very very smart. But I mean, I don't know. It's, I know it's messy, and you have to do what you have to do for a player like that. But I don't know if we've if you if all the owners are looking around and saying Beckham was great, but. Let's be honest, we gave away a lot of money in order to get Beckham. And yeah, he fundamentally changed the league and all, but I'm not sure. I think a lot of owners would look around and said, why would we do that again? Why would we want to do that again? We did that once, and it was a great deal for all involved, but times have changed dramatically since then. But who knows? And not that there was any question about this part of the equation, but the PSG coach, Christophe Galtier, in his press conference today confirmed that this weekend will be Messi's uh, final match for PSG. Should be an emotional affair at the Parc de Prince soon. <laughs> Do you see uh, Mourinho's getting linked now with uh, with PSG? I was going to get to that. Okay, sorry. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. We, we got some other stuff. Uh, but let's though, I'm let's sure. stay with MLS uh, first. Uh, the Galaxy also making news. Chris Klein is out after 11 years as the club president. A lot of pressure on him entering the season. They had put out a statement recently saying that if they didn't meet their goals this season, he would step aside. And they didn't even wait that long. Uh, he's out right now. I mean, okay. So this this comes to an end. And I think Chris Klein, if he was honest um, that it has taken this long, uh, you know, is a credit, I think, to the work that he has done. But I think it's probably surprising to Chris and to everybody else that it has taken this long for AEG to, uh, to act. Now, I'm going to say this about, uh, about Chris Klein. Chris Klein, in those 11 years, did some incredible things for the galaxy. Yes, it did not end well, uh, and ultimately, with you know the uh, uh, the sanctions against the club, the sanctions against Chris, uh, Chris Klein for uh, for the cheating, um, you know that's not a good look, and that's not a good ending. But in totality, Chris Klein did incredible things for this club. He is still young. Uh, he is talented. He has a great family, and. Look, my, me, you, everybody's going to have a take on this from the outside, but none of us are on the inside. I can tell you that <laughs> it's never the way you ultimately think it is from the outside. The inside is very, very different. And I think that he will go on and he will have 
uh, he will have uh, opportunities. And he, I think, deserves to be recognized for the vast majority that was good and that was successful. And, you know, these things, they never end necessarily the way that you want it to for the majority of people out there. And I hope he takes some time and I hope he, uh, you know, has opportunities going forward in the future. And I, as a former Galaxy player, as a former Galaxy employee, can tell you, Chris Klein, that there is life after the Galaxy. You are nobody until you have been fired by the Galaxy. And I, from a personal perspective, would like to thank Chris Klein for everything that he's done. But this is absolutely, from an AEG perspective, the right thing to do now. Although I think that there should be an, an entire cleaning of house there when it comes to you know the, uh, the leadership that continues on, whether it's Greg Vanny, whether it is uh, Jovan Karoski, and just start anew. Because this is not, as we've said time and time again, good enough for what the galaxy has promised us over all of these years. Uh, that being said, there was some midweek MLS action, and the Galaxy prevailed last night. 3-2 yes. away win over RSL. Big win. Yeah, big win. They were victory. down, and then they came back, and mm -hmm. then they, you know, they were down, they came back, and so that yeah, big, big win uh, on the road for the uh, the Galaxy. I don't. <laughs> is this the Chris Clyde effect? Who knows? But winning solves everything. This was this was never about anything but winning, as we've said before. And if and when you're winning. Everything will be overlooked. Everything will be forgotten. Everything will be forgiven. Uh, NYCFC lost 3-1 to Cincinnati. We're going to talk about their struggles in the one for the road. Um, yep. Also, some big MLS games coming up this weekend, including Seattle-Portland. That's you know, on our air. Uh, that's on Fox. I, I scripted a promo for that game last night. I referred to it as the league's fiercest rivalry. Rob Stone changed the script to one of the league's fiercest rivalries. Ooh, so he's not ready to go there. He's not ready. He's not ready. You know, you, you, you can try to put words in Rob Stone's mouth, but, you know, he will fight you if he doesn't believe in them. I, I, yeah, it's I mean, look, uh, Seattle is kind of going up and down, up and down. And I think there's a lot of sentiment out there that, well, it's not last year, which was horrible from an MLS perspective, even though they won CONCACAF Champions League. But I think there's a lot of sentiment out there that Seattle will get it together. It'll be fine. They'll finish it. Well, you keep saying that, and then they keep, you know, dropping points and losing at home. And you know, now they previously this year lost in Portland, so now they get the return here as Portland comes up to Seattle. So that's going to be fun. It's always a, it's always a fun game. Uh, FC Dallas hosting Nashville. Jesus Ferreira, Hani Mukhtar, and Nashville just flying right now as we said with uh with honey mukhtar and and what they are but you gotta you, you gotta shut them down and it's easier it's easier said than done uh we did see the return of walker zimmerman who had been out hurt and now we know he's being uh, going to be involved this summer with the national the national team so it's good that he's getting back onto the uh uh onto the field uh sean sullivan is not going to like this but okay. I, I am not done with european club soccer yet right. this season as much as he wants to move on from it a couple items i do want to hit um Yesterday, Budapest Europa League final. Sevilla defeated Roma on penalties after a 1-1 draw. Their seventh UEFA Cup slash Europa League title, which is remarkable. They are the Real Madrid of that competition. Italy misses out on that treble that I talked about in our last podcast. They were trying to win all three competitions as they did back in the 89-90 campaign, but not to be. Jose Mourinho loses a European final for the first time and very coy about his future afterwards. As you mentioned, there have been links to PSG. Also, some U.S. fans still holding out hope that he might be the next U.S. men's national team. Maybe, boss. maybe. I mean, look, if he's in the mix, great. Uh, he's going to want eight figures, right? So, I mean, 
Is U.S. Soccer going to pay him that? Uh, who knows? But you know, he said that he had already been approached by Portugal, but we know that that ship has sailed now with uh, Roberto Martinez uh, leading the way over there. The PSG thing just makes perfect sense to me. I mean, that's like the the ultimate moment where he can come in and give them what they have longed for so long, and he's big and bold. So that that one makes uh, that one makes complete sense to me. Uh, a couple of cup finals uh, this weekend I have my eye on. Uh, Saturday at Wembley, Manchester City, Manchester United in the FA Cup final. Uh, City going for a treble this season. Manchester United, the only English club to ever win a Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup treble, which they did in 99. They're very proud of that. So they'd like to prevent City from accomplishing that this Ooh. season. Speaking of treble, it, do you is it valid for an MLS team to say they won the treble if they won the Supporters' Shield, then MLS Cup, like LAFC, for example. Supporters' Shield, then MLS Cup, and then turning the corner to that new season, then winning CONCACAF Champions League? Is that It's okay? a gray area. I've, I've been Is thinking it? about that. Mm. They would be the holders of each competition simultaneously, so there's something to be said for that. But if it's different calendar years, that, mm. that gets a bit tricky. Interesting. Well, anyway, we know that uh, Man City is going for uh, the, the treble there, against uh, and now against their friend. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Manchester... Yeah, first time the FA Cup final is a Manchester derby. Then in Germany, we have... Oh, I'm sorry, were you not ready? No, 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 no. Go, go, go ahead. Uh, we have the German Cup final, Leipzig against Eintracht Frankfurt. Paxson Aronson very much in the mix for Frankfurt the last few weeks, uh, getting some playing time off the bench. Caden Clark on the books at Leipzig, but hasn't played. Uh, so I think Aronson is the, really the American element to this game. Okay. All right, well, we'll be watching all those stuff. So there's still there is still soccer games to be had over there. And this weekend, La Liga, Serie A, and Liga all draw to a close. Uh, the uh, um, did you watch the Seville uh, uh, game against? Um, I did. Uh, Roma. Roma. Yeah. Uh, that was a just a crazy game, by the way. I mean, there was of, there were no rules. I mean, there was just complete mayhem on and off the field. People screaming and yelling. Uh, our friend uh, Ian Dark was not happy. If you saw, he had a tweet where he was just like, this is this is ridiculous. This is shambolic. This is just the worst possible advertisement for the game. And the game would never end. Oh, my God. It just kept, it kept <laughs> going on and on and on. But we know, you know, that, uh, you know, Sevilla is, you know, they're the best when it comes to the NIT. Uh, Mourinho chased after the referee in the parking lot. Did you see that? <laughs> no. Yeah. Really? There's footage of him. <laughs> uh, hell, he threw his medal into the audience and everything. <laughs> it's just complete mayhem. Oh, my goodness. All right. Anything else, Moss? That's it. All right. Let's take another uh, quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the social media platforms. And by the way, our handle is SOTU with Alexi. And you ask us questions or comments or concerns or whatever. Or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. Mossy, what the, the folks want to hear on this episode? Uh, first up, a voicemail. Let's take a listen. Hey, Alexi. Hey, Mossy. This is Andrew from Dallas. Um, I was kind of thinking about uh, the summer and you know, where Balogun is going to fit in and who could possibly make help make him more successful. And I know that 
you know, we're hoping, this is assuming he, you know, fits that role of the number nine that we need him to. We also need the service to him to be just as good and maybe a little bit more unpredictable than we've had in the past. Do we think that Gio Reyna, given um, his ability to bring players to him um, and maybe stretch out a defense a little bit, could be a good distributor of the ball to partner with Balligan and maybe if we have two up top, maybe Balligan and Pepe, or uh, maybe have Ferreira who could also, you know, be a distributor of the ball as a false nine. Um, so just wanted to know what you guys think about that. And uh, if not Reyna, then who would be a good maybe 10 to partner with Balligan up top? All right, guys. Thanks. All right. Uh, thank you, Andrew from Dallas. All right. So first off, I'm trying to think when the last time the U.S. national team played with two up top. I mean, really played with it. I'm not talking about emergency uh, situation or desperation type of situation. I mean, it's got to be decades, I would think. Um, so I don't think that they're necessarily going to change up top. When it comes to actual service, we talked a little bit about how, you know, I think that Balogun should start and let's see what, what, what he's got and let's see what he's got against uh, Mexico. And to Andrew's point, yeah, you're only as good as the service that uh, that you get. I never thought that that it was necessarily a, a question of not having great service. And when you say service, are you just talking about crossing? Or are you just talking about people feeding the ball in dangerous areas in the box? That's I think that's a generalization of of service. And so Geo being involved, yeah. I mean, we've seen it time and time again this year when he's come on the field. Is that from an attacking perspective, he can create things. And he is dangerous. Still remains to be seen whether he can be effective throughout an entire game. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, Masi, I don't want to speak for you, but having more players on the field that can be dangerous and put players like Balogun, who is in the box, in advantageous positions is, is a good thing. I do think that Wea is plays a the wing position for the U.S. national team in a unique way that we just don't have in that he's one-on-one, -on -one, he beats people, and there, and there is speed. Um, and then Christian does it in a very different way on the, uh, on the other side. Yeah, if you look back to the World Cup, all the metrics point to the fact that chance creation wasn't an issue. It was finding somebody to put the ball in the back of the net. So I think plugging in Balogun, if he plays as well for the U.S. as he has at club level, um, and surrounding him with the likes of Pulisic, Reyna, Wea, Aronson, McKenney bombing from the midfield. Uh, you just got to find the right combination there. And yeah, actually, if, if Reyna is fit and, and in good form, I would start him. I think he's a starting caliber player for the U.S. Uh, but yeah, I don't see service in general as being an issue. I think the U.S. has the creative players. It's just been finding that guy to finish off. When you say start Reyna, are you starting him out wide or are you starting him in as a, a kind of 10 in those in those three players in the midfield? Yeah, against a quality opponent, I think it would have to be as one of that front three. Uh, you would be too so unbalanced. Is, Mex is Mexico qualify as a qualify uh, a quality opponent? Oh, yeah, really? I'd like to see the front three be Pulisic, Rain, and Balogun for those. Although because of because of the absence of a six, uh, it might have to be the look you suggested with uh, Musa and McKinney sitting and a ten in front of them, and then Reina would be a, a logical candidate for that role. But when yeah. Adams is around, I just don't like losing Wea's speed. I think that that is dangerous and I think people have to game plan for it. And I think that it, it, it is beneficial. And it, like I said, it's unique. We just don't have that type of player that does things like a, you know, a Kobe Jones or, or whoever out there. So, all right. Uh, what else do we have, Mossy? We got, a, I think, a, a Twitter question. Is that uh, true? We do. Yes. Uh, Ryan Meager. Yeah, that sounds good. 
uh, asks, do you think the U.S. men's national team is the toughest national team in the world? Ooh, well, I guess you got to define toughness, but I think in general, no. My, my first reaction is no. I don't think that the U.S. men's national team is the toughest national team in the world. As a matter of fact, I think whatever toughness they, they may have had has dissipated over the years. But that doesn't mean that they are not tough. Um, I think it's just a logical progression and evolution of a team in that, look, if you're playing for a small nation that has incredibly limited resources, your ability to be successful within those challenging circumstances, I think that's much more difficult. I think that produces much more tough players. Now, just because you're tough doesn't mean necessarily that you're good. Being tough and being good, that's, that's a great combination. And so that characteristic that I think Ryan would associate with the U.S. team over the years, while I don't think it, it shows up as much, I don't think it's no, nobody's to blame because you know, this U.S. men's national, I told you about uh, when I last was uh, with the national team and I went out to training, and there was like 40 people in red sweatsuits that were part of the staff. They are given every resource imaginable. They are given every benefit. They are, they are given things that previous generations never even dreamt about. But that's a good thing. I want them to have the best. I want them to only have to worry about playing. But if in that effort to give them more and give them better and to improve their circumstances, the byproduct is <laughs> that you lose your toughness, you know, that, that, that could be a problem. But no, I don't think the U.S. men's national team is the toughest national team in the world. I think that there are plenty of national teams out there that the U.S. team would beat, but that are much more tough in that the circumstances that they play in day in and day out and when, they, when it comes to a national team that they have to endure are so much worse. And therefore, it has had to make them so much tougher as players and as young men or young women uh, in a national team program than the U.S. and others. Uh, my apologies to Ryan. He does indicate on his Twitter that it, it that last name sounds like Mar. Oh, How okay. on earth does that spelling you translate know, into there's Mar? There's a bunch of silent letters out there. It's like uh, it's like uh, Lester, yeah. B.J. Callahan, right? <laughs> I mean, we went from three G's to a silent G over there. So look, if that's how Ryan wants it pronounced, then that's what we're going to do. All right. What anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Another quick break. When we come back, we'll close out the show with my one for the road. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Um, we are seeing Mossy in uh, the game, um, this phenomenon of very public um, interactions. Uh, oftentimes tied with apologies for poor performances between 
uh, players and often at times coaches and fans. We talked about the one earlier this week with the Los Angeles Galaxy and Greg Vanny and company over there. Uh, we just saw one this week with uh, James Sands for NYCFC who are in a rut, if you will. And it always coincides with bad performance. As sports fans, okay, we are not entitled to explanations, justifications, uh, interactions, or as I said, apologies from players or coaches for poor performances on the field or the court or the rink. If you don't like the product, and the product is that performance, then don't buy it. You are a customer. And I know people cringe when I talk about things in business terms. But that you are the customer and you are buying a product, that is your power. That is your leverage. But it, what, what seems to be happening is that there is this feeling of in order to grow as a league or in order to grow as a sport, then what creeps in is this entitlement and that players have to do penance when they have a poor performance and they have to, you know, ask for forgiveness from fans. Don't do that. Don't do that, James Sands. Don't do that. I know you mean well. I know what you are trying to do. But what ends up happening is the absolute opposite. You, you don't end up looking any better. Okay? And you encourage this entitlement and therefore... It's never ending, and you're always going to have to be apologizing. And it, like I said, it never has the effect that you in, uh, that you intended. I, I get it that you want to be respectful to the fans, and you should want to be respectful to the fans. I, I get it that you want them to understand that the pain that they are feeling for not getting good performances is something that you will share. I get it that you want them to understand <laughs> that you are doing everything in your power, either as a coach or as a player, to rectify the situation. But if at each stumble, if at each poor performance, you have to sac sacrifice yourself on the altar of fandom, then you look weak and you have lost in ways that don't aren't reflected on the on the scoreboard and 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 I'll finish with this this in no way means that I don't respect what fans in sports do or that I don't believe that they can have a voice and can have a say but I equate that voice and say with the ultimate power which is either you buy it or you don't buy it and if, you, if and when you don't buy it, that's sending a message. That's saying, no, this isn't good enough. And I don't want to be associated with that. And I'm not going to give you my money, let alone my heart and soul, for something that I don't feel lives up to whatever it is that you, you believe that it should. But we've seen this time and time again. And I think, as I've said before, that it is performative bullshit. Uh, and like I said, it never lands the way that you want it to land. So just stop doing it. About three weeks ago, you might recall I attended a Red Bulls NYCFC game. Mm -hmm. The Red Bulls won. On the way out of the stadium, Red Bulls fans were celebrating. 
And NYC fans, NYCFC fans were mocking them over the fact that they were still in 14th place in the East. <laughs> and if you look at the standings today, it is actually NYCFC now in 14th in the oh, East. Oh, wow. Well, they're not happy. And, and look, you have every right not to be unhappy. And you have every right to scream and yell. And, you know, I, I, I have no, no qualms with that. That's, that's, that's part of sports. But <laughs> you don't have a right uh, to uh, have somebody give a, uh, you know, a TED talk after each and every <laughs> loss. Uh, Mossy, anything before we go? That's it. All right. Listen, we, we do want to thank Julie Ertz uh, for coming on. And um, you know, I love her. Uh, and uh, we want to thank you, too, for listening and for reviewing and for subscribing and for rating and for doing all the different things that you do. We will be back again next week. Uh, for some more shows and all sorts of stuff that's happening. We are coming into the summer months, as we have talked about, where all sorts of interesting things are going to be happening with the U.S. Uh, uh, men's team, with the U.S. women's national team, with international soccer in general, the continuation of, uh, of MLS, and plenty of stories, I'm sure, on and off the field that we will be following. But until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.